the last thing you want to have is a job for the rest of your life. You could have had a job with less stress at the other places that you were working at before. You want this to be worth making the risk and the change so that you can have the life you want and the profits generally allow you to have the life that you want. You're listening to Certified Financial Planner, Gabe Nelson. I know you didn't start your own business just to build yourself another job. So handling money well will be crucially important in reaching your business goals. Today's guest has been helping solopreneurs and very small business owners, folks whose business and personal budgets are often closely intertwined, get their financial house in order for years. And in a moment, you're going to hear some of Gabe's best financial advice for solopreneurs because Gabe is today's guest on Solopreneur Success. Welcome to the Solopreneur Success Podcast, where successful business owners gather to share true stories and sound advice to help you start and grow your own solopreneur business. Come soar with us and design the life you love. Now, here's your host, Steve Combs. Hello, solopreneurs. Today, I'm interviewing certified financial planner Gabe Nelson, founder of Gabe Nelson Financial where he's largely served solopreneurs and small business professionals and is now the recently published author of this Solopreneur's Money Manifesto. And as you probably guessed, today we're going to talk about the crucial topic of money, your money. It's important. This is going to be good. I'm looking forward to this conversation. been looking forward to having Gabe on for a few years now. We're finally making it happen. Gabe, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Steve. I'm excited to be here. You know, it's funny, when I first met you, Gabe, you hadn't had a book out yet. This is a pretty recent book, which is awesome. So as we're talking right before the show, this is great timing because I want to get our audience to know about your book and what you do because money is a topic that many people don't like to talk about and it's crucial. So before we get there though today, I want to kind of just give you an opportunity to maybe share with our audience, how did you get into the financial world? And especially how did you get to the point where solarpreneurs and small business professionals became like your primary audience. What was it about that group of people that kind of made it to the right audience for you to serve? Ooh, okay. Well, I'll take the first part of it and then I'll add on the, how did I end up with solopreneurs? I came into the industry right out of college, 23 years of age, moved to a new town, didn't know anybody other than the people I went to college with. And the thing I knew is my wife wanted to be in this town because this is where her family was. And I'm like, all right, I will figure something out. And had a taste of self-employment in college and jumped into the more of the insurance side of the game in the very beginning and just started building a business back when I was 23 years old and, and getting going. Long story short, I had a few iterations of that and worked my way into management, figured out I'm a terrible manager of people and decided to go back into what I would call the field and then morphed into having my own financial advisory firm in 2008. And so 2008, I left this big firm. I've got my own practice and the greatest financial crisis that we've ever seen in, in our lifetimes, at least, I'm 50 years of age, hits. You know, 45 days later, Lehman goes bankrupt. And so we're dealing with the stock market going crazy, the economy going crazy, oil's through the roof. Good, all kinds of stuff happening. And here I am trying to build my business and survive. And so I did. I survived. I let my two staff people go. I basically did everything that every entrepreneur does to survive, used every bit of money that I had to keep going. And 
basically kept building my business and growing and building and growing. And finally got to a point where, like most entrepreneurs, I got it to a point where I was running my business really, really well. And I was working half time, having fun, doing my thing, but I was really starting to get bored with my practice. And uh, this was about four or five years ago. And so I started to do things that entrepreneurs do. One, I tried to play golf three days a week and that got boring. Two, I started to break stuff just so I could fix it. And three, I finally was like, okay, I got to figure out another way. So I hired a coach and got involved with a coaching program for financial advisors and just was enlightened by all the other advisors and the coaching of the different things and ways that you could go about running your business for financial advisors. And in an exercise, sat down and looked at my clientele and said, who do I really, really like working with? And who do I want to work with for the rest of my career? And so I listed them. I listed them all out. And the common characteristic of all of them is they were all solopreneurs or husband and wife teams or very small businesses, meaning one owner with like one or two employees, two owners with a couple employees. And I was like, okay, that's where I got to go because that's where I have the most fun, most value that I can provide. And that's when I discovered this word of solopreneur, probably about four or five years ago. And so that's what landed me here. And so I think I answered the question, went all the way through for you to get you there and uh, give you an idea kind of where we are. Yeah. And it's funny, you you said something that I I just have to kind of call back to, even though it wasn't really specific to like financials or whatever, but this is something that I've noticed in my own businesses, especially my first one in writing, that we hit a point as entrepreneurs where we kind of get bored with what we're doing. And we're like, okay, where's the excitement at when you're first growing something new? I find that's very common among entrepreneurs is we get bored super easy. We're kind of attracted to this shiny object syndrome. What's the next big thing? And if you're not careful, I know that that's, that's something, at least for me, that you can allow it to draw you away from your core business strengths and you're chasing, you're chasing rabbits and you're not making any real progress in your business. And, and it can lead you to a, a downfall in your business if you're not careful. I'm kind of glad you said that because that's something I've seen a lot of times, including in myself. So you're, you're working now with solopreneurs and, and I love that because of course, obviously I work with solopreneurs as well. We have a lot of affinity there. And working with solopreneurs compared to bigger clients, because you know, I believe you work with bigger clients often when you're in like the corporate world. What do you think is the, the biggest difference between, say, the, the big client and, and the folks like us, solopreneurs and small business owners? What's the real tangible difference, do you think? Obviously, besides maybe portfolio size, what else do you think is kind of different in, in the approach uh, between the two? Well, the difference between, let's say, I'll call it a, a W-2 employee who's working at a corporation and then what I would call a solopreneur, the biggest difference is the business supports everything. And so not only do you have to, in the financial planning piece of it, account for their personal planning, their cash flow, and their goals and objectives, but you got to really think about what's going on with the business and the cash flow of the business. And you got to protect the business so that it continue to protect the house, we'll call it. and so. That's what drew me to that niche is just, it's so fun to deal with all of the different intricacies of the financial planning that has to do with the business and then into the personal, because it's all intermixed. Whereas your average financial advisor, that's just happy to take your money and invest it. They don't spend the time to truly get an understanding of the full financial impact of business decisions to personal decisions, personal decisions to business decisions. And then 
what I found is, you know, there's not a whole lot of people that are really, truly specialized in solopreneurs. And the competition is knocking on every solopreneur's door, where when I used to work with a lot of physicians, everybody has a neighbor who's a financial advisor. And everybody, you know, of those, all those neighbors are always knocking on the door and saying, hey, let me have a chance. Let me have a chance. And then you start getting into price competition and you start getting into the he said, she said, and the you know, the things that come as a result of it. And what I found is if you specialize in an area, which then takes us down to the whole idea of the niche and really truly understand everything about what a solopreneur has to go through, which is so much different and more complicated than a regular W-2 employee, it just starts to differentiate yourself and provides so much more value to the client. Yeah. And we're going to dive, I think, a little bit into what some of these specifics are for you solopreneurs. But I want to just also call out what you just said Gabe, is that niching, know your audience. This is for everyone listening, because it doesn't matter what your business is. You, you need to have a clearly defined market. What makes you different? And by niching down or, or picking that market segment, you can really define yourself. And that's what Gabe's done here, is he's, he's focusing a market where he can excel. And that's what I've done. And that's what you need to do in your business. So I just want to call that out there. Now, Gabe, I am wholeheartedly agreeing with you that as far as the, the financials, we have to be careful not to mangle things, but we are solopreneurs. And like you said, we tend to have our income coming in through this one or two or three streams, depending on how, you know, what you have going on in your business. When you're talking with a solopreneur for the first time, you're sitting down across the table from them, you're on the phone with them or Zoom call or however you meet with them. How do you start that conversation? Where do you begin to look at their finances and say, how can I best serve you as a financial planner in your case? Where do you start? I start with the same thing just about every other financial advisor does is tell me why you're here. I mean, that is generally the greatest question that any financial advisor can ask. Because I can tell you this, regardless of whether you have a financial advisor or not, whoever's listening, is you don't wake up in the morning and call and think, I'm going to call a financial advisor. Today's the day. It never happens that way. I mean, maybe once out of a million, but usually there's a problem. And the problem then causes someone to say, I can't do this. I need to have somebody help me. And so I start there. Then once I get an understanding is, can I help them solve their problem? That's when I start going into, tell me about your business. Tell me really what you do. How does it work? What are the challenges there? How's your cash flow? What are your goals? What are your objectives? What are we really aiming for? Like, where are we going with this whole financial planning thing? And what's the purpose? What's the why and what's the vision of where we're going? And so that's where I start. But I always start with the, why are we talking? You need to know that first. Yeah, that's great. And that's important for a lot of businesses as well. But you've got to certainly see a lot of the same kinds of responses coming in. So what kind of responses do you typically get to that question? What is it that draws people to say, I got to pick up the phone and call Gabe. I'm like stuck here. Why do they call you? I mean, I know you're going to ask them that question. But what are the kinds of answers you're getting that you see typically? Oh, one recently, just in the last two weeks, was we've got this money sitting here and we truly don't know what to do. Do we pay off debt? Do we invest? Do we invest in the market? Do we put it in for retirement? If we do, what type of investments do we do? So that is usually one, is we got money and we don't know what to do with it. And we know we don't want to go blow it on something. So they need some guidance. Second one is, is I'm getting killed on taxes 
And I hear you financial advisors have ideas on help reduce help to reduce taxes. Another one is I want to know if I'm going to actually be able to achieve my goals and retire someday. The question I get a lot of times is, am I ever going to be able to retire? And so those questions come up probably the, the most. And the last one generally is, is how do I do this stuff? Or is I truly either A, don't trust myself, B, don't know what to do, or C, I just don't want to do this. I don't want to mess with it. So tell me what I got to do. Yeah. Kind of like hold your hand and walk you through the, the process. So, and that's, that's like the done for you model that is usually gets the most money <laughs> in any business. So that's great for you. And uh, great for those who want to take advantage of that because you give them their support that they really need there. And I, I want to come around to your book because you just wrote this recently. I know it came out, I think it was earlier this year, if I remember right. I remember seeing it coming out live with that. And it's the Solopreneur's Money Manifesto. I'd just like to ask you, Gabe, what led you to write a book? I know a lot of business owners write books, but for you personally, as far as a business owner perspective, what was your goal with the book? Goal of the book was to establish myself as the authority for financial advising or financial planning for sole openers. That was the ultimate goal was somebody picks up the book, they read it and go, wait a second, that's me. This is the guy for me. I want him to help me. That was the ultimate goal. Why did I do it? I did it because I had time. The pandemic hit <laughs> and I wasn't chasing my kids all over the country for soccer tournaments and gymnastics, et cetera. And so I had time. I'm like, well, if I'm going to do it, I better do it today. So I started writing a book in 2020 is when oh, we started. Yeah. So you kind of made it the pandemic book. I think a lot of books came out for the same reason, you had more time. I just recently started writing a book as well. It's going to not be really a pandemic book, but it'll be out this year. I'm mm -hmm. looking forward to getting that out there. But I love talking to other authors like yourself to say, you know, what are you doing with this? And it's been said that you, know, you can't spell authority without author. And really, that's true. I mean, if you want to show yourself to have credibility, can you put enough material out there and content that shows, yeah, I really can demonstrate expertise in this area? That's exactly what you've done. So tell us a little bit about the book. Right? What, did you, what kind of things did you cover within that for our solopreneurs listening? What I did is I put the book in three sections. The first section of the book is really getting an understanding of where are you going? Like, what is your vision for your life? What is your vision for your business? Which is totally out of line for a financial planning book. I mean, in the simplest of terms, a money book written for, for anybody generally does not start off with what is your vision for your life and your business or where you're going. Then what I talk about is getting your mindset right so that you can actually start to put the actions and the habits and the things in place. So that's the first section is literally getting your mind and your life set the way you want it. And my belief is that your business should support your life rather than your life supporting your business. And so therefore, I want to start the book with the idea of let's get your idea of what your ideal life is. Because the book is the subtitle of the book is how to master your finances and create the life you want. So I want you to start by thinking about the life you want. Let's start there. Now let's take the finances you have in place and the finances that will be coming and let's start to craft the plan. And so that's the second section is to talk about all of the things that you need to be thinking about from cash flow to retirement planning, to tax planning, to estate planning, to insurance planning, to debt reduction, to all those things, there's 10 pieces that I go through. And then I finish the book with a case study where we take a prospective client and we take them from start to finish from the 
holy buckets, the pandemic has killed me. My finances are a mess. I've been skating by because things were good. Now I really want to make sure that I'm on path to retire, to do the things I want to do, to pay for my kids to go to college, to achieve my goals. And so it's three sections. And the final section is a case study that you could literally follow along and go, oh, that's me. Or that's not me, but I could use this. Yeah, and that, that's so great to learn from other people's mistakes, or in this case, kind of a conglomeration of your experiences with clients, I'm sure. I would think anyways, maybe I'm wrong. But so let's talk about mistakes solopreneurs make on a regular basis, because I know that as a solopreneur, I've made more than my share over the years. I've messed up left and right, and I've, I've learned some hard lessons that I probably wouldn't have if I had somebody like you in my corner. So what kind of mistakes do you regularly see people come in and say, boy, if I just hired Gabe earlier, this probably wouldn't have happened. What kind of things should people be looking for that they can avoid? Uh, usually it has to do with uh, debt and investments are usually the two places that I see the big mistakes come into play. Debt meaning I got in way too much over my head. I decided to invest in this program. It never paid off or I didn't use it. So I bought this program, this tool, whatever, and it cost me a lot of money and I never used it is one. Other mistakes that I see is mistakes of investing and meaning we don't have a plan with what we're doing with investing. A lot of people have a tendency to go, Hey, my buddy over here is doing this. So I think I'm going to go do this now. And then my father over there is doing this and my friend is doing this. And so you end up with this mess of investments that might all be the exact same thing with different names on them. And it's not a cohesive plan. The other thing that I see is people buying real estate. Real estate's a fantastic investment. But I see people buying real estate without doing the full due diligence of what they're getting themselves into. And so on my podcast, I ask three questions of every single guest. Smartest decision you've ever made regarding money, biggest mistake you've ever made regarding money, and then what does mastering your finances mean to you? The biggest mistake has a tendency to be one of those few things. One, I got into too much debt and now I got to climb out. Two, I invested in these things. I had no idea what I was doing. Three, I invested in real estate of some way, shape, or kind, and I didn't know what I was doing. And now I'm paying the price. Usually those are the areas that I'm seeing that is the big mistakes. Yeah, so solopreneurs, if you're doing any of those, pay close attention and get Gabe's book, number one. And number two, you may want to reach out to Gabe and get some advice because that's something that we don't want you to have the same kind of thing. And thirdly, um, your podcast, share that with us. I, I know you have it. Tell us about that. My podcast is called Solopreneur Money. And the whole basis of the podcast is to teach you how to master your finances and create the life that you want. And so we talk financial planning, but I also bring on guests on a regular basis to talk about different areas that they have of expertise that they then can share. Might not be the financial planning side that you get the value out of out of that episode, but you might get a, a tip or something that's going to help you run your business better, help you run your life better, help you be a better mom, better dad, better husband, better wife, better whatever, because we're bringing those pieces of wisdom to you to help you then create the life that you want. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I want to ask you another question also, Gabe, about your business structure. I know that you mentioned at the beginning of your business, you had employees come out the gate, ready to roll, layman collapse, big, great recession we had. And I remember that because I was laid off in the middle of that for my last corporate job. And I'm thankful for that. Never look back. But 
it was still a struggle to make it through that time and, and to build a business in that time frame. And now we're both here at this point. You're no longer, as my understanding, looking at your website, you're, you have actual uh, folks that are on your team. Are they employees? Are they 1099? How do you structure your business as far as uh, working with your team? All of the people who support me are 1099 or contract employees. Gotcha. And so when I left and started my own firm, I had two employees that I brought with me to help me make the transition. And I survived, literally held on by the skin of my teeth for a year to keep paying them and keep the ball rolling and then let them go. And I'm like, all right, I got to do this myself for a while. Then I eventually built up a team of contractors. And so I have, I have an executive assistant who handles everything on the front side of my business. And it's actually, her name is Christina, but Christina's moving on. So there's a gentleman by the name of Evan who is replacing her and being trained. They work for a company called Athena Executive Services, and they specialize in high-end virtual assistants. And they've done a fantastic job. That handles what I call my front office. So if someone were to reach out to me to schedule a meeting or a podcast or or anything, it goes through them first because they handle my calendar, they handle my emails, they handle everything. Then I have what's called a back office virtual assistant. Her name is Vicky. She works for a company called Total Office. That is a company that specializes in virtual assistants, back office virtual assistants for financial advisors. They only work with financial advisors, only work with independent advisors. They have a very special niche that they work in. And she handles everything from when someone becomes a client of mine. And so they handle all my client service. Then my podcast, there are contractors who produce my podcast, edit my podcast, get it out. That's a team. And that's called Podcast Fast Track. And then I've got a guy that does my marketing. He's an independent business owner who handles all of my LinkedIn contact, all my LinkedIn work. Her name, his name is Chris Hughes. And so anytime I bring somebody on, it's always in a contractor basis because I love being a solopreneur and I love having that freedom to be able to do that. I'm right on board with you. And I love the detail you just gave our audience too, because I say the same thing all the time to my clients and the people in my community is that just because you're a solopreneur doesn't mean you're alone. I outsource tons of work to people. And I'm, even this week, we're saying about, there's some more stuff I've been doing that what, I'm crazy to keep doing this myself. I need to outsource that as well. So for you, in your case, what was the, the catalyst to say, okay, I need to hire somebody for this particular task? And when do you, in your business, decide I need to grow as far as that team? I think this is such an important conversation to have for solopreneurs thinking, I got to do everything myself. You know, I'm wearing all the hats, but you don't have to wear all the hats and you shouldn't. Most likely, if not sure, does really get started. And even then, earlier, I find it's typically better. So what, what is it that makes you decide when to bring somebody on or when to increase the, the role they have in your company? Well, generally, it comes down to capacity. When you start to get to a point, you know, those of you listening, when you get to a point where you've reached capacity, it's like, I cannot do all this on my own and still have the life that I want. Meaning you're missing your kids' soccer games or, or dance recitals, or you're missing this, or you're missing that because you're still trying to get work done. You needed somebody a long time ago. So yeah. you, if that's you, you need to get out and get somebody. And what I would say is take the time and list everything that you do. Just do a simple audit on one day and write down everything that you do. And then look back and go, what is this truly producing for me in what I would call revenues for my business? Because you as a solopreneur, you're really good at everything but you're amazing and you're genius at like one or two things. And that's frankly all that you should be doing. But we also have a checkbook. We also have a budget. We also have to pay our bills. So you might have to kind of gradually work your way in. So what I would say is 
when you're starting to reach capacity or you're starting to get frustrated by the things that you're doing day in and day out, then you better start looking to get somebody to take care of those things. For example, my vision is to literally do two things, talk to clients and talk to prospects. That's my vision. That's all I want to do. I'm almost there. I got a few things I still have to do, but I'm constantly refining and delegating more things and outsourcing more things so that I get to a point where all that I do is do what I do best, which is talk to my clients, which is really then talking to them and solving their problems. And then what I would say, talking to prospects, meaning being on podcasts and interviewing people in my podcast, and then talking to prospects who decide that they want to have an opportunity to see if I can help them. That's where I really spend my best time. And that's where you did at the end of the day. It's not like even work. It was fun the whole time. Yeah, that's great. I love it. I'm saying when it comes to my core, which is teaching and coaching, that's what I love to do. And the more I spend doing other things, the less satisfied I am in my business. So find out where your your zone of genius is, like Gabe said, and, and seek ways to improve your processes so you can get rid of some of that stuff that's not in your zone of genius off your plate and have somebody else do it. That just makes so much sense. And I love that you've just been so open with us on that. Anything else you'd suggest for solopreneurs that say, this is something you really ought to be aware of. It doesn't necessarily have to be financial, but what would be something you'd say, this is things I've seen in my business or in my clients' businesses that solopreneurs especially ought to be on the alert for. I know we talked about financial mistakes, but what are the kind of things besides necessarily financial, but in general, would you say is something to be watching for or opportunities to keep an eye out for? Well, I'll dovetail a little bit of what we just talked about on that idea of outsourcing is think about the value of your time. Like literally, what do you charge per hour and what can you charge per hour? And anything below that should you be doing? Now, obviously, you have to have enough money in your checkbook and the reserves to be able to pay for that stuff. But I would really say, spend the time to truly value your time so that you know what you should and shouldn't be doing. That's the first thing. The second thing that I would say that I see a lot with solopreneurs is they don't know how to price their products or their services. That's probably like one of the biggest problems that's out there is, hey man, I left my job. My job was billing me out at $100 an hour to my client. So I'm going to go just so I make sure I get keep the client or get the client, I'm going to bill myself out at 90. Big mistake. And the reason it's a big mistake is they were billing you out at 100 and paying you, but you have to account for taxes. You have to account for your benefits that you have to figure out how to do. You have to account for putting money aside for your own retirement and things like that. And you got to account for your, your overhead. So you got to account for profit. You got to account for overhead. You got to account for expenses, all these things that think about your pricing reverse engineer your pricing is probably the best thing I could tell any solopreneurs, figure out how to price your products. And if you don't know how, then reach out to Steve or reach out to me who can say, here's how you should do this so that you can then have a profitable business. Because the last thing you want to have is a job for the rest of your life. You could have had a job with less stress at the other places that you were working at before. You want this to be worth making the risk and the change so that you can have the life you want and the profits generally allow you to have the life that you want. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just got to say a couple of points about what you just said, because I'm 100% in agreement. I just want to expand upon it a little bit. Uh, number one, we were talking about well, what is your time worth? And I want to just say, what would your time be worth if you were focused more on your core specialty rather than the ex- auxiliary work that you're doing? 
So when you're outsourcing, that means you have more time to put in that high value work. So your hourly rate goes up, number one. Number two, like you said about pricing, that's so true. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to clients and just not even clients, but just people in general. And I said, I'm looking at the pricing. You need to like at least double your rates, literally double your rates. And I've seen them do it. They get it because they're so undervaluing what they provide to the marketplace. Uh, yes, you have to have the value there. There's people that shouldn't up their rates because they're already overcharging in some cases, but more than, more likely than not, most solopreneurs I talk to, they really don't value what they offer nearly enough. At least if they're, if they're smart and they, they know what they're doing and they have a real valuable product or service, chances are you may be undercharging. You need to take a look at that. Take a look at what the marketplace really can afford. And maybe if they're not a you're going to say, well, I'll lose my client. They won't pay more. Well, maybe you have the wrong clients. Consider that as well. You might need to just change who you're talking to. So just keep that in mind. Gosh, this has been such a great conversation, Gabe. I hate to end it so quick. So let me ask you this one last time. Where can people find you, get more about your book and, and what you do, and then reach out to you for help if they need help with financials? Book, you can find it on Amazon. That's the easiest place to go. Go to Amazon, type in The Solopreneur's Money Manifesto. You'll find it there quick and easy. I have two websites that I'd point you to. One is GabeNelsonFinancial.com. There's a start here button. You click on that, it takes you through my client journey so that you can actually see what happens when you reach out to me. And I can tell you, for everybody listening, there's no timeshare sales pitch, lock the door, lock the Zoom room on you. You can't get out. It's a very simple process to help you understand, am I the right fit for you? And and then you'll know really what is important to you when it comes to planning, et cetera. I have another website called solopreneurmoney.com. Solopreneurmoney.com is where all of my, what I would call my media assets are. It's where my podcast is. It's access to my YouTube channel. And then the other place, what I would say social media that I'm active on is LinkedIn. And so those are the places to find me. Yeah, definitely go there. We'll put all those links in the show notes for you guys. Solopreneurs, you have a wonderful day. Gabe, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I appreciate it, Steve. Thank you for listening to the Solopreneur Success Podcast. We hope you discovered valuable advice on how to start and grow your own successful solopreneur business. If you liked the podcast, you'll love the all-new Solopreneur Success Connections community at solopreneurcoach.com. Here you'll get exclusive access to our private, members-only community of business builders, free business building resources, and live online monthly training designed to accelerate your business success. Join us now at solopreneurcoach.com. Hey, solopreneurs, it's Steve Combs again. You can find all the links to the resources mentioned in this episode on the show notes page at solopreneurcoach.com forward slash 057. And a reminder that members of my free Solopreneur Success Connections community can grab the latest transcript for this and every new episode with a single click from the members area. If you're not a member yet, visit solopreneurcoach.com forward slash membership to start your free membership today. Thank you for listening.